This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Fiona McIntosh, welcome to Better Reading. Oh, it's great to be back again, Cheryl. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Albeit um, remotely, which is our new world. So Fiona's in South Australia. Are you in Adelaide? Uh, no, I'm in the Clare Valley, which is where we've got a farm up here and I do a lot of my writing. And We live up here most of the time now since the boys wow. have grown up and it's quiet and there's a lot of acres and, I, you know, it's good for a writer. It's conducive yeah. to writing. Yeah, Fantastic. We'll talk about that as, as we start chatting. I'm going to introduce you first. Fiona McIntosh is an internationally best-selling author of novels for adults and children. She co-founded an award-winning travel magazine with her husband, which they ran for 15 years while raising their two sons before she became a full-time author. Pre-COVID, Fiona roamed the world researching and drawing inspiration for her novels, such as The Diamond Hunter. She also runs a series of highly respected fiction masterclasses. Her latest novel is The Champagne War. It's a heart-stopping adventure about the true power of love and hope to light the way during war. So let's start chatting. Firstly, tell me a little bit about the book and how you came to write it. The book itself is, you know, as always, my books seem to rely on a bit of serendipity because I never plan for my stories. You know, I, I put myself in the way of a story. That's what I'm always after. And my editor was, like you, her favourite beverage is a champagne. And she said to me, oh, gosh, one day write me a champagne story. And we were in France and doing a um, – I was working on another book, but we did a – day trip into the Champagne region. Um, and at Reims Cathedral, there was this amazing um, uh, exhibition gallery of photographs from World War One, And I was astonished by it. They were all very moving, very poignant photographs. And I said to my husband at the time, you know, in that moment, I said, there's a story here. There's definitely a story here. So I let that percolate. You know, I knew it was in the back of my mind and I got on with the story that I was working on. It must have been The Pearl Thief. I think I said earlier to somebody it was The Perfume and Secret, but it wasn't. It had to have been The Pearl Thief, something more recent. Anyway, um, when Ali said, made this comment about I'd love to have a champagne story, it was sort of like the perfect storm coming together. And so we um, headed off on a separate trip just about whatever this story was going to be. And this always rattles um, my husband because we're going blind now. There's no story. He knows I've got nothing up my sleeve. I'm just arriving into this place and I'm trying to put myself in the way. And I said, let's just walk down the Avenue de Champagne. So anyone who's been to Epinay in this beautiful region of northeastern uh, France will know 
that there's this iconic street, wide boulevard, and all the major champagne houses that you care to mention have massive properties here as their sort of cellar door and show-off property where the where the um, all the tourists come. Anyway, we kept walking past, and Ian kept saying, "Is you know, is anything happening yet?" And I said, "Look, be, <laughs> just be quiet." Oh, the juice is going. <laughs> yes, because he's always getting worried. I mean, these sort of sure. trips are not cheap to do, and and there's, if there's nothing on the end of it, it's sort of soul destroying. So I'm walking, walking, and so I was arrested by this really beautiful little house that looked like a French country country manor house. It didn't look like the others. They were all ostentatious and rather grand, whereas this was restrained and very beautiful. And obviously, um, you know, the, the architect had real taste. And I, I said to Ian, if I was going to live in any house along this street, I, I, this is the one I'd love. And there was this group of tradies just next to us, um, and they were obviously preparing to do some work on the house. And we were just muttering to ourselves and started taking some pictures for no other reason than it was pretty. And this woman was amongst them, and she was dressed like them. She was in jeans, and she was paint-flecked, and she had dust in her hair. And she's, I thought she was one of them, and she came up to us and said, can I help you? And um, we said, oh, no, we're just from Australia. Sorry, are we interrupting? She said, no, no, by all means, take your photographs. Tell me about yourselves. And she was intrigued that we were Australian and, and who are you and what are you doing? So I told her and she said, well, look, you're, you've stopped and you, you look at the house. Would you like to look inside? <gasps> and I, you know, and of course I'm going to say, of course I would, but I was, can we, you know, should, who's looking, who would mind? Because it was all locked up. And she said, no, 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 come on. And as we were going up the steps, I said, you know, um, what about the owners? They're not going to come in and tell us off or anything. And she said, no, I am the owner. So she said, come on in. And it and she started breaking open champagne and pouring us flutes of champagne. And it was, Ian was in his happy place, you know. It was this magnificent house, you know. And he just sat back in an armchair and I got chatting to her. Turns out she's a sixth generation champenoise. She is the owner of House Gonet. Um, this is her, one of her, this is her cellar door and one of her family homes, but her chateau is just down the road in Avis, uh, you know, not far away, five, 10 minutes away. And she said, okay, how can I help you? And so over, you know, um, a few glasses of champagne, I don't drink, so, uh, but I didn't want to offend. And so I was sipping with her. I mean, if I'm going to drink anything, I will drink champagne or maybe a Pedro Jimenez. So I'm drinking this and talking to her. And the more she spoke, I the more I realised. Wasted on you, <laughs> Wasted. Yeah, totally. I wish I was there. <laughs> yeah, she was giving me like the equivalent of $100 bottles of yeah. champagne, you know, just pouring it out. Ian was quaffing. And the more I spoke to her, the more I realised that she was the story. She was giving me her story that was obviously going to be my story. And she's been... You know, she's come down a long track of women who've been very powerful in the champagne industry. Um, Madame Pomeray, Verve Clicquot, the widow Clicquot, who changed, both of them changed the face of champagne. And here's Sophie, um, another century down, also changing the face of champagne in her own way. And she's very brave and she's doing it alone and she's really creative. She's very um, romantic about the way she discusses champagne. And I was completely seduced by her. 
And I said to her, Sophie, the story is you. You're a widow. You're everything I need for this story, except I'm going to take you back 100 years and, and sit you in the in World War One." And she said, you know, if you'll just give me a massive, fabulous, torrid romance, I'm all yours. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you this wonderful romantic interlude, um, you know, and we won't um, not play faith to your husband and she she just thought it was so funny and so brilliant and she's she's a great friend of mine now and we've been back three times and on the fourth time she said uh you know have the house just have the house I'm not having you staying in some hotel down the road she said the house is all yours and they just gave me the keys for a few days and said roam it live it soak it up because they they'd worked out how I work now which is all about absorbing place and um so I was the lady of the manor for a oh. few days and it was absolutely glorious you know how wonderful what yeah. is that it's the beauty of travel isn't it yeah you make these connections and you don't know who you're going to meet and you don't know what you're going to discover. And I'm not frightened of that. I'm not frightened of leaving it to fate, to the universe, to um, deliver to me this story. I've written quite a few books in this way. And, um, you know, I just I just know that it will come and I don't panic and it always comes. I love that story. So has she read the book? She would have only just received it. So I'm, And she can read in English. I don't know if she'll get all the nuance in English. So Fingers crossed maybe there's a French translation and she can read it in her own language and sort of really see herself there. She finds it, she giggles a lot at the thought that it's about her because I've imbued so much of her into Sophie, the character, um, her love of opera, um, the way she talks about the grapes, um, the way she moves, the colour of her hair. It's My Sophie is the fictitious Sophie. So she'll find it very amusing, I think. Does she, um, do your books often get translated? I mean, they do, don't they? They do. Yeah, yeah, they go into all sorts of languages. Yeah. Whether uh, You know, it's whether the French want to read about the French, you know, yeah. a French story. Yeah. And if they do, I hope so, um, then it will find a French publisher. There are loads of really good French yeah. publishers. But it will almost certainly be translated into German and Russian and Czech and, you know, hopefully Italian and Spanish. I mean, at the moment, the world's in all sorts of disarray, but they need as many books as they can get right now. I mean, Books are saving lives, I'm sure of it. They're keeping people sane through incredibly difficult times. So, yeah, they're on the hunt for as many stories as they can get. So I hope so. I hope yeah. she'll read it in her own language. It would and be do brilliant. you speak French? Look, I can, I can understand a lot of French. So when Sophie can't find the right word and she says it in French, I know what she's saying. And she can have a very low-end conversation with me or she can have a more sophisticated conversation with someone else and I can eavesdrop that conversation and sort of get the gist of what she's saying. But ask me to respond in French and I just freeze. It's, mm. it's the same. It's the age-old problem that unless you try and people love it when you try and speak in their language, it's just the, the, the tension of not being able to get the right verb or, you know, are you saying, you know, your mother looks like a horse instead of how lovely is your champagne <laughs> kind of thing, you know. <laughs> Hey, so tell me, do you think then, I mean, because you are so um, thorough in your research, what happens now with COVID? What are you writing next? Well, I'm clipped. My wings are clipped. Very luckily, we were in Britain and Germany earlier this year before the gates closed on the world. So I was there in late February and I was researching wow, the 2020. Wow, was close, wasn't it? Yeah, even early March. So um, I was researching the 2021 
story, um, which is called the, the Spy's Wife, and it's you know it's an interwar years story set in Britain and Germany, and we were able to do both Britain and Germany and see Munich and Nuremberg and Berlin, all the places I needed to get to, albeit perhaps not in quite the drill down way. It was more a uh, uh, my second pass if you if you please because i'd already done a first pass but the, then the doors closed on the world we skidded in and they closed the doors behind us in in australia and of course i can't get back out now and there's really no likelihood of getting back out until if even if we're very lucky this time next year and anyway who wants to go into europe right now well, we complain all we like but yeah. we'd be stupid if we tried to go into europe right now or you know even if we we're allowed so i think all bets are off there. I'm fortunate. I think I've got enough to write the 2021 novel, but my problem is 2022. And I had the most uh, scratch my face off exciting story for 2022. I'm really excited about this story, but I can't do it. I have to get to some um, far flung places to do it. And um, so I'm putting that on hold and I've decided not to stress about it or worry about it. We can. We have marvellous stories here in Australia. And though my creed has always been, I won't write an I um, an Australian story. I think it's time to have a go at my, you know, my very own iconic Australian tale. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So the circumstance that we're in might be the Australian story that comes out. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's pushed me into. Well, when I made this decision, it was back in sort of April, May, and everywhere was locked down. We couldn't get to Victoria. We couldn't get into New South Wales. We couldn't. I couldn't go to Tasmania, which was my first thought. I thought, right, head to Tassie. You know Tassie so well, but we we couldn't get there. So really, I had to get sensible about it and think I've got to do a South Australian-based story. That's the only way forward because it's the only place I can get to easily and keep going back to with ease because we just don't know when borders may close down again. And so it's going to be a South Australian story. And I've already got the idea. I've sent it through to the publisher. They're really excited about it. Really, they just said, what, this has just been sitting inside you? And I said, no, it's, as you say, it was the circumstance that made me go on the hunt, made me travel around and put myself in the way of a story. And I found it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mashing together two ideas that really intrigue me and, and um, I can make them work. And it's, it's all sounds great on paper. Now I have to um, 
sit down and write it. So I won't do that until early next year. Right now it's all about The Spy's Wife, writing The Spy's Wife. So, mm. Talk to me about um, how, I know we've talked to you before, but talk to me. I mean, your career has been travel. And now that you're a full-time writer, your career is still travel, isn't it? In a I know. I, I really thought, thank you. I thought I was hanging out my boots, you know, <laughs> when back in 1984 when I gave it all away. And, uh, not 1984, sorry. Um, that's when we started. But in whenever we sold 2004, we sold the travel magazine that we had and Ian was being very wise in deciding that a happy wife is a, you know, is a, a, is a good marriage. Yes, is a good, <laughs> is a, is a happy life. So he thought, let her do this. Let her get this out of her system. She wants to be a writer. So let's see where this can take her. And so it was generous of him because we were essentially giving up his life and giving up everything he knew. Um, and we sold up and and I gave it a go. So, and I thought, well, that's the end of travel, you know. And while these days I have to pay for my travel, so I don't travel in quite the same class or a style that I was used to as a travel writer and a travel publisher, I'm traveling more than ever. And it's all about books and it's, and it's more, um, it's actually more uh, adventurous because the travel you do is a, um, when you're a publisher is people want to basically find out more about the same places all the time. So you're constantly updating on Paris and London and New York and, you know, the Greek islands and, and India. And you're, you're sort of going to the same places and finding new, new experiences and new um, products for people to sample or try. But with the books, I'm always looking for somewhere different. Like I might go back to Paris, but it will be bolted together with, you know, uh, the Luberon or it might be bolted together with somewhere else. And, so I'm I'm being a lot more adventurous in my travel for the books. So it's a different sort of travel and certainly a different mindset. It is, it is. I, I was just, you know, I mean, I love travel myself, as you know, um, and I do a lot of travelling and I, I too feel that, my, that someone's just clipped my wings. However, I mean, obviously I don't write. But what is the appeal, do you think, of, of say, people like you and I? who? Because I've got a sister who hates travelling. You know, she doesn't want to go anywhere. She's perfectly happy here in Sydney. And the idea of going anywhere just, you know, makes her feel very uncomfortable. But for me, and people often ask me, and, and I'd be curious to see, I know that you're researching the books and coming up with the story, but there is more to it, isn't there? It's, is it, tell me what it is. For me, it is the shock of the new all the time. I think for me, um, if I tr if I strip away the uh, the work that I've got to do, so I'm on a mission to actually find a story. So I, I have to be very professional and focused about it. More than anything, it's the curiosity of how other people live yeah. and have and have lived. So um, I like going into Europe. I'm not as interested in say America as I am with Europe. I love the history of Europe. And so that draws me in every time. And it's also the enrichment. I always, with every trip, I feel newly educated by who I've met, who I've talked to, um, what I've seen, what I've experienced. So you become a more, um, uh, you have more layers to yourself through travel. Because if you just stay still, 
you've only got those same influences around you all the time. But if you travel, if you're a really well-traveled person, you're perhaps going to have a more liberal view of the world. You're certainly going to be, I would imagine, more tolerant. And I think you're enriched through those experiences. It's the same so, readers, isn't it? And yeah, and for me, what I do for them, I hope, is I armchair travel them and I enrich their lives through my storytelling, not necessarily because it's brilliant storytelling. Um, I'm not putting tickets on myself, but I hope that with every book, I tackle a topic that they may know a little about, but they don't know lots about. And I can actually, through storytelling and whilst entertaining them, I can actually give them a, a little bit more than they knew than before they started the book about a particular topic and a time in history and a bit of a social documentary about how people lived in that time. So if they're not people, so your sister who maybe chooses not to travel, and I understand why, travel today is more difficult than it's ever been. And it's own, from with COVID, it's going to become really burdensome, I imagine. We're going to be asked, asked to arrive for a flight maybe three or four hours before instead of just two hours or, you know, it's just going to be exasperating to travel. But at the other end, it's, I sh I'm sure we're going to feel it's all worth it, you know, what it's we see. It's always it. worth it, isn't it? Yeah. My God, it's yeah. always worth it. So I want to go back to this because I heard you tell this anecdote many years ago about setting up your travel magazine business, and I love the story, so I want you to tell me. I think the story says a lot about who you are and says a lot about who you are as a writer, so tell me that story. I know which one you're referring to, Cheryl. Um, we were, firstly, the, the whole of the travel industry is really Sydney-based. So everything that moves and shakes connected with travel in the good old days, if you go back 20 years, was based in Sydney. Now, there was a little bit happening in Melbourne, but all the head offices of major airlines and major cruise ships and major products and wholesalers were Sydney-based. So... Along came this tiny little pair of South Australians who thought that they could set up a travel magazine that spoke to the national voice, which is the travel agents of Australia. And we thought we could do that from Adelaide. Well, we were convinced we could. And the Sydney industry thought we were like, we were like circus freaks. Well, they laughed at us, you know, they were like, where are you from? And they wouldn't give me their advertising. And I needed the advertising to support the magazine. The only way we were going to be able to put this magazine out was to get lots of advertising dollars in. So I thought about it. And the first thing we did was we set up a fake Sydney address. So we bought a PO box in Sydney and we suddenly had a North Sydney address, which was just over the bridge. Lovely. People were very excited. And then we had a telephone number, an O2 number, and that made people think, fabulous, we've got a new outlet, you know, for travel. And um, we had an answering service that immediately connected through to Adelaide. So the minute someone dialed that O2 number, it connected back into Adelaide. And I had told all my staff, when you answer the phone, answer with a different name every time. So people can't stay in touch with who you are. So people would say, and I'd answer the phone sometimes and say, Travel News Australia, Emily here, how can I help? And they'd say, <laughs> oh, we're looking for Fiona. Oh, um, look, Fiona might be, I'll just check where she is. Could you hold on, please? And I'd click off and I'd look at 
a couple of the staff who were laughing and then I'd go back and I'd say something like, Fiona's on the fourth floor at the moment. Um, can I get a message to her? And they'd say, no, it's really quite urgent. And I'll say, okay, what I'm going to try and do is connect you to somebody there on the fourth floor and maybe they can see her. So I'd click off like this. <laughs> And then the person who was sitting next to me might be Paul, who was a real person. And Paul loved doing women's voices. He was really funny. So I'd say, go on, Paul, you pick up. So he'd press the same button. He'd lean over me and press the same button. And he'd say, hello, it's Susan here. Can I help you? And they'd say, can you see Fiona? Apparently she's on the floor. And he'd say, oh, yes, I'm just going to connect you. If you just hold on. And he'd connect me. And, I, and then he'd hand me the phone. And I'd press the button. And I'd say, Fiona here, and we'd have a tall conversation. And what was happening with this whole ridiculous pantomime that was going on was they were thinking we were a much bigger organisation than we actually were. We were an organisation of three, and we made it sound like there were at least 25 of us and that we were spread over several floors in North Sydney, when in fact we were in a tiny, tiny bluestone cottage in a suburb of Adelaide and it worked it worked the advertising dollars began to flow in and we had every major airline represented in our pages and yeah, I would I make think, did you think back then that you were going to be a writer no 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 no, no. Yeah, that wasn't that's that. the beginning of storytelling because you just oh, made yeah. all of that up <laughs> I know and I think it, when when this comes up I think it's true that if I look back on my life, I think I've always been the storyteller around the table. So I'd take a small something that happened today and, you know, over dinner with my parents and my brother, I'd start regaling this story and make it much bigger than it actually was and hopefully have them in, in splits of laughter. And um, that was the point of it. So I think I was a born storyteller, but I didn't know it. I was just honing my skills right through my working life until at 40, I decided, you know, I want to write a book. And it felt like it came out of nowhere. But I think the pathway was always in its very weird way bringing me there, you know, and I've been crunching words all my life. So it just came together beautifully. Storyteller who's always written, you know, reports and magazines and all that sort of thing. And it came together. Well, I'm really pleased it did come together. Fiona McIntosh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. The book is called The Champagne War. Thank you so much for your time. I really need COVID to stop now so you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> Not me, you. Can, <laughs> I suggest, can, can I suggest everyone pour themselves a champagne when they're going to read the book? Because I do an explanation of what should happen in your mouth and your mind when you're sipping champagne. So even if they get a good sparkling in Australia, because we're not allowed to call it champagne, um, sip it and maybe start to experience what Sophie, the character, is explaining to you as the reader. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you, everyone. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, 
join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.